to the official podcast of DogsDaily.com, a Sports Illustrated channel. Gets to the edge. Tony Michelle will send the Dogs home to the championship game. If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you're in the right place. Hosted by Dogs Daily Riders, Jeremiah Stoddard, Kyle Funderburg, and Jonathan Williams. Here's pitch. And high out into right center with some carry. It's got a chance. This ball is out of here. Tucker Bradley has won it. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. Welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard here, along with my buddy Jonathan Williams. And we have a special guest with us today, Mr. Dan Kiley. Um, it's somebody we've gotten to know pretty well through some other channels, through Georgia Sports and everything like that. It's a pretty cool guy. Um, but we he's been wanting to get on the show for a little while. We've been trying to find a time to make it work. And we couldn't think of a better time to have somebody join us than, you know, previewing the SEC championship game, Georgia versus Alabama coming up this weekend. Dan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. Better late than never, right? Just what a great week to be a part of the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, for sure, man. We're excited, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's going to be a good episode, a good week uh, to talk Georgia football for sure, man. It's you know we we Jonathan and I were talking about this, and I kind of told you this a little bit ago. It's you know nothing super set in stone of what we talk about when we come on these shows. Sometimes we just kind of want to get on here and have a conversation about everything. But there's some obvious talking points today with Georgia versus Bama. You know, you got to talk key position matchups things to look for for Georgia and Alabama that could potentially be the game-changing moments or areas to watch um, and just kind of how we think everything's going to play out. But I'll, I'll kick it over to Jonathan. Just get us, you know, how excited are you about this game coming up this weekend? It's It feels like, you know, we've waited so long to be in this type of position as Georgia fans. And it's here where Georgia, at this point, it feels like, I mean, at, at this point, it doesn't matter if they win or lose this game against Bama. They've locked a spot into the playoffs, which is what we talked about before the season started that this year we had expectations for a playoff year. We didn't say they would go much further than that necessarily meaning that they would win in the first round or win a national championship. But our, our goal for Georgia this year, our expectation for Georgia this year was to make it to the playoffs. And at this point it feels like they've locked that ticket. Yeah. I mean, this is the matchup that everybody anticipates every season, whether Alabama and Georgia are said to face each other off in the regular season or not. Everybody is wanting a Georgia versus Alabama matchup just because you have the apprentice versus the teacher, student versus teacher, however you want to put it. You have Kirby Smart versus Nick Saban. Obviously, Nick Saban has gotten the best of Georgia and Kirby Smart during Kirby's entire time at UGA. I think this is their um, fourth or fifth matchup already since Kirby started at UGA. Um, so this is a big one. I mean, this is one that everybody anticipates, especially in the SEC championship game. You got Alabama in a winner go home situation, essentially, unless chaos breaks out in all the other championship games this weekend. So the question is, can Kirby Smart and Georgia finally get over that Alabama hurdle or not? Will Nick Saban continue his dominance and sneak into the playoff? So it's a highly anticipated game. It's one I'm certainly excited to watch for, and I'm sure everybody else is really looking forward to watching this one as well. Yeah, absolutely. Dan, how are you feeling about it? You know, it's really an awkward situation to be in as a Georgia fan. Most years, you come into the situation, coming to the end of the year, we want to play for an SEC championship, you know, every single year, right? But you come into this game and you actually feel like you do have the better team. It's not a situation where, hey, I think we can compete. I think we can win. It's, I expect to win. We are the better team, right? And how uncomfortable is that? That's Alabama every year. They, every single time that they play, they should feel like they're going to win. But as a Georgia fan this year, you should feel like you are going to win this football game. And that is such an awkward feeling for a Georgia fan. Yeah, absolutely the same thing that we were talking about yesterday. So Jonathan and I actually jumped on somebody else's podcast yesterday. It was the Dropouts podcast. It's, actually, it's a pretty good one out there as well. It's on you know all major platforms like ours is. So y'all should go check that out if you haven't. I don't believe they posted that episode just yet, but it should be out um, probably in the next couple of days or so here. And we were talking about that. That was the same thing I said. And I was like, man, it doesn't feel like we should be where we are right now. Like this is so awkward of a feeling going into this game. It's like, I'm, I, I feel scary. You know, it's uh, how confident I am in going into this game is a scary feeling. It's an un, 
you know, normal feeling. It's something that we aren't used to. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, you know, going into this matchup against somebody like Bama, Nick Saban, and the years past, the history always stays in the back of your mind. But I've got this confidence going in this game that I never expected having going into an Alabama game when we haven't beat them yet. You know, I was talking to Jonathan about this yesterday too. And man, I'm pushing thinking Georgia might even win this thing by double digits. And I know that might be a little zealous and a little bit overexcited on it, but that's just a realistic thought process for me because I know Bama has a pretty good offense. I think Georgia's defense is going to hold them around the 20 point mark. And I think Georgia could score 30 plus points on. Yeah. And I think a a big thing that plays into that also, you, you know, you said this is kind of an abnormal feeling for you and Georgia fans in general to think that they can just come in there and take care of business. Like nobody's issue against Alabama, but then also on the flip side, Alabama's in an abnormal situation as well. When have they ever gone up against Georgia and they feel like they're behind behind the eight ball for once or whatever? But and it's because like as the season has gone on, you've watched an Alabama team go out on the field that hasn't looked like an Alabama team that's been on the field in the last ten years or so. You know, usually for Nick Saban, they have everything dialed in on both sides of the ball. They have a really good defense. Their offense is full of NFL prospects all across the board. Whereas this year, they've struggled against teams that they definitely shouldn't have. Like you're in a one-score game late in a ball game with LSU, who's already fired their head coach. And then you drop one on the road to Texas A&M. And then you're in a dogfight with um, unranked Auburn with their backup quarterback, who by the end of the game was basically playing on one leg. And you didn't score your first touchdown until like five minutes left in the game or whatnot. That's not a normal feeling for Alabama fans. So then when you go in and match up against the number one defense in the nation, they've dominated every single person, every single team that they've played this year, including a good number of teams that Alabama has also faced this year. You you have to have that kind of weary feeling about like, well, I don't know. Like this, this very well could be the year that Kirby Smart and Georgia finally get us and they take us down and they kick us out of the playoffs. So both sides are kind of on this unusual feeling for sure. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's going to be one of those things where like George is actually going into this game being favored by six and a half points right now. That that's so it's not even just, you know, Georgia fans or me or you going into this game feeling a little more confident than like we should. It's Vegas thinks Georgia should be feeling pretty confident going into this game, too. And it's a game that Bama, it, you know, and Nick Saban, they don't go into games like this being the underdog. Right. Like they 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 don't, which honestly, that's something that kind of scares me a little bit. That does, because Bama isn't the type of team that gets put in that kind of corner very often and Nick Saban being who Nick Saban is. We were listening to six, eight of the fan in the audio fun bag with Brooks Austin, um, Lowson Hoyt and everything a few minutes before we jumped on here. And they were in one of the things that Brooks actually mentioned on there was, you know, Bama and the history of Bama, like you've got that in your mind. One, you, you got to think Bama's always in this game. You know, they always have a good chance because of it being Bama and it being Nick Saban. And, you know, we don't, we don't really have that much history of, Bama being the underdog like this, like by six and a half points, like to me, that's it'll be interesting to see how Bama responds and how Nick Saban goes into this game coming into it in that type of scenario. Well, just think like the last time that Alabama was um, the underdog against Georgia was 2015 and they absolutely manhandled Georgia in Sanford Stadium. It was a monsoon. There was rain all day long, all afternoon, and they just get absolutely manhandled by Alabama. So, I mean, you do have to have that in the back of your mind as a Georgia fan, of course. Like you do anytime you play Alabama, you always have those horrible memories of facing them in recent years of how horribly wrong games have gone. So, of course, that has to be sitting in the back of your mind. But you got to have the mindset that you've had all season long is that 2021 is not 2020, it's not 2017, it's not 2018, and it's definitely not 2015. So you also have to have that mindset as well and not necessarily dwell on the past, but at the same time, you do have to think about the past a little bit because this is the greatest coach in college football history. So, of course, you have to keep that in mindset in your mind and just be aware of who you are playing against. Well, and history is what is dictating all of these predictions. You hear all of these people predicting – and. For the most part, everybody's predicting a Georgia victory, correct? But if you listen to the predictions, it's, you know, 42-32. It's, you know, 28-24, all these high scores. What have you seen this year that would give you the indication that Alabama is going to score 20, 30 points on Georgia? It hasn't happened all year long. There have been some fluke things, some garbage touchdowns where people got some points and they, what was it? 13 or 17 points is the most they've allowed all year 17 long. 17 to Tennessee, 17. Yeah. What have you seen in any game this year would give you the indication that they're going to score in the high 20s and 30s? I haven't seen it. And you know what? Maybe they do. Maybe 
this is the longest slow play in the history of college football, and Nick Saban's been holding <laughs> everything back for the last game of the year, but I haven't seen it. The only way they score is to go deep, right? That's that's the one thing that we keep hearing if you listen to podcasts, if you watch TV, if you watch ESPN. They say that Georgia's vulnerable deep, okay? Well, maybe they are. We've given up some big plays to Tennessee. Alabama doesn't have the offensive line to give their quarterback that much time to throw a 40, 50-yard bomb. At least I haven't seen it up to this point. Yeah, and I think you're hitting on something huge right there. Um, is And it's something that Jeremiah, again, talked to yesterday on the podcast that we hopped on, is that Alabama right now ranks dead last in the SEC and sacks given up. Vanderbilt's high school football team that they fielded this year has given up less <laughs> sacks than Alabama has. Jesus. I'm just being real. I'm just being real. That is fine. That, oh that is just me being honest. Like, come on. Like, let's be real. I mean, they were in a dogfight with UConn. I didn't even know oh. UConn had a football team until this year. So they've given up the most sacks in the SEC. While Georgia sits at the top of the SEC and sacks given up, and they rank second nationally in that stat category as well. And then you want to know something else. That, brought, that was brought to my attention today is that Georgia ranks 16th in penalties this year in the nation. Alabama ranks 106th. Everybody talks about how Nick Saban always has these really disciplined football teams, kind of like people talk about Kirby Smart's football teams is they're always very disciplined in what they do and whatnot. You haven't seen that at all this year for Nick Saban's team. They are horrible in giving up penalties, just kind of making boneheaded mistakes. So when you add in giving up uh, – committing a lot of penalties, and then also your offensive line is just doing absolutely nothing for a quarterback that does not handle pressure very well. I think that's a recipe for disaster. Again, especially when you're playing a defense like Georgia, you got guys like Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, Jacoby Dean, Robert Beal, whatever freaking five-star or what else you want to throw in there as well. That's a recipe for disaster. And I think that's where this game could really get out of hand is if Alabama is just not able to protect Bryce Young at all. And then add on top of that, you commit some boneheaded penalties that just give up free yards to Georgia. Yeah, for sure. And it, Georgia is and, – and, Dan, you're, you're right on that. Like, the biggest vulnerable spot for Georgia is the secondary. We know that. That's something that – like, that's been the storyline all year. We talked about that in spring ball. You know, that's not something that was – that's not new information. But at the same time, the only team that has scored, you know, more than 14 points is Tennessee, and they scored 17. And so – it's not like Georgia's out here just getting demolished on these deep balls against teams like Tennessee, Arkansas, and Florida even scores a lot of points. Like these teams that put 40 points up a game, right? They're scoring, you know, 10, 13, and, you know, 7 or, or 17 for Tennessee. Like those teams that had these bigger offenses that score a lot of points, they weren't able to do it against Georgia either. So I'm with you. Like what makes people think that this game, because it's Bama, that – they will be able to come out here and put 30 points up against Georgia. I would bet, you know, whatever you want to, that, that Bama doesn't score 30 points on them. I think they might get around the 20-point mark. I think they do have, you know, the potential to score something kind of similar to what Tennessee was able to do as far as putting 17, 20 points like that up. But that's kind of where I think – and I'll go ahead and do this, and I'll get to y'all on your score predictions later on. So, But I kind of gave mine up a little bit as as we've been talking anyways. And, you know, I think that you, you might see a 20 to 21-point score for Alabama, and you may see a 30 – you know, somewhere between 30 and 35 points for Georgia, somewhere like that. I think that's might be what plays out because I do think Georgia's offense will be able to score pretty well against Alabama's defense because Alabama does allow 20 points per game on average versus Georgia's seven points allowed on average. Yeah, and um, I, I was I kind of float around that 34 point range for Georgia, and then kind of around the 17 point range for Alabama, and it just goes back to again like what I was saying about their offensive line play, and then how Bryce Young has dealt with pressure. I mean, you just you saw it in the Iron Bowl. Bryce Young just looked uh, flustered out there when he was getting pressured. I mean, I think Auburn had six sacks against Alabama, so and, um, I think that's going to be a thing that a big thing that plays in. And then, but then going on the offensive side for Georgia. Watching back um, last year's game against Alabama, you know, watching Brooks kind of talk things through with how Georgia's offense attacked Alabama. Todd Munkin had the best game plan to beat Alabama last year. He had Georgia in a perfect position to take them down. The only thing that wasn't clicking for them is that they weren't executing their plays. Stetson Bennett was not hitting his throws like he has this year. That's a big thing is that he is hitting those throws this year. And so I think Todd Munkin had – always comes up with great game plans for teams. I think he comes up with a perfect game plan for each and every team. And Setson Bennett talked about that on 6A The Fan this week is that 
Todd Munkin's game plan is always centered around his team's strength, his players' strengths, and he's done that with Stetson this year. Stetson has shown that his strength is being mobile, getting outside the pocket, opening up the field a little bit more for him and allowing him to use his legs as a, th- as a threat. So I think Todd Munkin is going to do that again on Saturday. I think Stetson Bennett is going to hit those deep shots like he should have last year against Alabama. And I think that's going to be a big deciding factor for this game is that I think Georgia's going to be able to respond defensive stops with points on the board, but I don't think that Alabama necessarily would be able to do the same just because of how suffocating this defense is. And that's something that Alabama has really struggled with. Yeah, for sure. And going back to kind of what you're talking about there as well, I'll lead this into the conversation about the quarterbacks, right? Because that's a big conversation point, no matter who the game's or you know who the is in the matchup and who's playing who it's always come down to quarterback situations that's where everybody focuses on one team does have a Heisman candidate quarterback right now the other team has a former walk on starting at quarterback for them this year so that's a big storyline i'm sure in general um, one thing coming if you've watched last year's game with Stetson Bennett starting that game as well he dropped back and stood in the pocket a lot and he stood very stagnant in the pocket until he was forced out and stuff like that this year is a very different usage of him in the pocket and where Munkin puts him to throw the ball. He'll throw from so many different points. He'll roll right. He'll roll left. He'll you know do a shorter drop back, longer drop back. He'll be in different spots to really mess with that defensive line and where he's going to be that launch point. He, it'll, there's five or six places he'll throw the ball from just based on play design, not including where he's going to roll out and just actually make plays with his legs and then still throw you know way downfield later on because he's finding somebody open. It, that is something that will be a, a huge difference in this game compared to the last matchup because I think he was he seemed very uncomfortable against Alabama last year. And I think it was a big game. It was on the road. It was something that, you know, he hadn't started that many games for us. The storyline was still kind of big for him. And, and that, he even talked about that. There was an interview he did uh, last week, I think, and um, it was through SEC Network, I believe. And, and he was talking about, he said, the moment was big for him. And, and he thought about, man, man it's just such a crazy story right now that I'm the starting quarterback for Georgia. Like it was in his own head and not in a bad way, but like it gets to you sometimes. Like he was, he was living the moment up to where he was like, man, this is huge. Now he's there, he's grinding out and he's playing because he knows he deserves to be there at this point. And I think that's the difference in his mentality as well. That'll play out a little bit different in this game. But like I said, I, th- I think he looked uncomfortable last year. Whereas this year, I think he'll be a lot more confident and, and, He'll he'll play a lot better. I think you tweeted this out earlier today. I expect him to have a pretty big game, actually. Like I expect him to throw fairly well and have a decent game against Bama this week. But let's talk about Bryce Young real quick as well, right? So he is that Heisman candidate. He's out here throwing 400 yards in a game sometimes, that kind of stuff, and putting up these huge numbers. The big thing of that is if he can stay clean in that pocket. You know, and and I feel like, like you said earlier, Alabama is getting worse on their offensive line as far as their pressure being allowed. They allowed 36 sacks, 35 or 36 sacks this year, and seven of them came last week against Auburn. So they're they're digressing in that area. And their right tackle, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but after watching, you know, some of that Auburn game, that right tackle was just getting thrown around and tossed everywhere. And so if that's the case and you put Georgia's edge rushers like Channing Tindall and uh, Nolan Smith out there or whoever you want to, it doesn't really matter. They're, they're going to feast on that. You know, you hit a stunt and then all of a sudden you have N'Kobe Dean coming off that right side. It's going to be a problem for him and he's not going to be able to stay clean in that pocket. And I think that's going to be a huge ordeal for Bryce Young. You know, yeah, a lot of I'm, times if you, you go if, ahead, Dan, I'm sorry. If you look at the way Alabama put up a lot of their passing point, you know, I didn't watch every single game, but the games that I did see where they had a lot of success moving the ball through the air, they weren't necessarily going deep all the time. When like when they had Devonta Smith, they would just throw it up over the top and, and those guys. They were killing folks by getting the ball in open areas on the field, and their guys were just such talented athletes that they were able to run and get big yards after catch. But Georgia's team, and even though we have some issues, air quotes, issues in their secondary – we tackle extremely well in space, and yeah. I don't see them being able to do that. You know, Deacon, and, and, and maybe they do. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe I've watched it wrong all year long, but I just don't see a, a path to where they're able to just carve us up with a quick passing game. I think that they're going to have to try to take shots down the field, and I don't have the confidence that that right side of the defensive or offensive line for Alabama is going to be able to hold up to what we're able to bring. I, I think that they can protect on the left. Absolutely, I do. But I don't think they can on the right, and I don't think they can up the middle, and I don't think that they're going to be able to have a running game at all. 
Yeah, and, and when you talk about it like that too, if they have a big issue, and it'll be apparent very early on because I know – you know Kirby's got all kinds of tape on that Auburn game and he watched every bit of that right tackle struggling and he saw every bit of – he's already got so much stuff drawn up to attack that. And so what you'll see is you'll, you'll probably have to see Alabama counteract that by keeping the running back in and, and letting him pick up the extra guy that potentially gets by and, and help block and, and pick up the protection and stuff like that, which changes what they're able to do as well. It takes, you know, it frees up that linebacker that had to watch the running back coming out of the backfield where he can drop back in coverage a little bit better and play for those short yardage tackles and stuff where you don't see these drag routes just killing us across the field because they catch it five yards over the line of scrimmage, but then they run for 30 yards because there was no linebacker in the middle of the field, you know, to be found. That kind of stuff I think is where it's going to benefit Georgia because of that offensive line of Alabama, I think you're going to be able to see Georgia even play more sound in that middle part of the field than they should be able to against other opponents they've had this year. Well, and I don't even know if they're necessarily going to be able to keep a running back back there just because they're already down to their last one and he's not even all that healthy. So I don't know if you want to keep him back there with Bryce Young and have him eating up blocks from a guy like Trevon Walker or whoever else is coming off the edge because he's all you got right now and he's even not all that healthy. So if if you have to keep in the game, him in the game. I don't even know if that you can keep him back there. So and then also another thing is that you're 12 games into the season. You're about to play your 13th. Your offensive line is who they are at this point. It's not like something that you can just all of a sudden coach up for one week, especially for per- preparing it against a team like Georgia. It's not something that you can just all of a sudden coach up and clean it all up. Like you are who you are at this point. That right side of the offensive line is who they are at that point. And they're mediocre at best, maybe. So a beauty of that for Georgia is you don't have to send all these amazing blitz packages or anything like that to put pressure on Alabama. Probably you can continuously send four guys. Maybe occasionally you send in a fifth rusher from um, the linebackers or whatnot. Um, but so now you can just continuously send four, probably get some good pressure on them. And then you can drop seven in the coverage and you can do um, you can prevent what Dan was kind of talking about. So they kind of like to, um, dink teams apart with um, just short passes, putting their guys open into space. So I think that's something that um, really plays into Georgia's hand as well. Yeah, for sure. Dan? So, you know, one of the other things that I was thinking about, and I've heard this talked about a little bit, uh, not not necessarily in this direction, is Georgia had been able to prepare for something in the last two times that they played Alabama, and then they had a swap where they changed the quarterbacks, right? The first time they went from – um, oh, Lord, uh, Jalen Hurts Jaylen. to Tua, yeah. and then they went from Tua to Jalen Hurts, right? Well, mm-hmm. they have Bryce Young. He's young. He's going to make mistakes. He's he's not perfect, right? I mean, he's the Heisman Trophy guy or whatever, but he's not perfect. So if, if he's not playing well, right, if he's not playing well, they don't really have anybody to turn to. Now the tide has turned, pun intended. <laughs> we do. If Stetson isn't having a great game, which – nothing it, I it, hmm, I was extremely slow on the Stetson bandwagon okay extremely <laughs> slow I, I I wanted to see JT have his opportunity and I really feel like he was never given that opportunity but that's you guys have beat that to death so I won't talk about that but if if that one percent chance things aren't going well you have a five-star quarterback who is a Heisman hopeful sitting on the bench. Alabama doesn't have that. So Alabama's got to come into this game with the game plan that they put into place for Bryce Young. And if he doesn't play well, or if he gets, uh, he gets hit or he gets knocked down and I don't wish injury on anybody, but that's not the worst thing in the world that could happen for us. But if he goes down, we don't, they don't have that other guys can come and bail them out, but we do. Right. And I think also with that is that in Georgia's case is that, Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels are two different quarterbacks with how they would play in Munkin's offense. Like we said, Stetson's going to be the guy that's rolling outside the pocket, going to be using his legs and whatnot in the run game. I mean, we've seen where Todd Munkin draws up design run plays for Stetson, where JT Daniels is more of a sit back in the pocket, dissect the defense apart, really good from 20 yards out or in. So they're two different quarterbacks as well. So something were to happen as well. It, it kind of makes you think like Alabama might have to prepare for both, you know, just in case something crazy does happen because it's two different guys. And even if they don't, then you go from a guy like Setson Bennett to a guy like JT Daniels and Alabama's defensive game plan really has to shift around about, all right, this is a totally different quarterback. This isn't like the last guy. We kind of have to scheme things differently. So if that were to happen, it might even play further into Georgia's hands and benefit the even more if it does come down to where JT Daniels is having to come into the game to, 
save the day. Yeah, exactly. Well, it'll be it'll be like the same type of thing that it was for Bama in the first matchup in the national championship game, right? So Jalen Hurts was trying to run the ball a lot more. That That's the type of quarterback that he was at Bama. Now, he's made a little bit more of a career being able to throw the ball in the NFL and stuff now, and he went out to Oklahoma, all that. But at the time, Bama used him a, a, with a lot of that scramble type, excuse me, that scramble mentality and that type of offense with him. And then they switched gears and changed over to Tua, who had a can of an arm, and that's how he beat us. Like, that's, that's where he picked him apart was he was able to throw the ball because – Jalen Hurts couldn't do anything in that first half against Georgia. He was so locked down that they had it completely covered up. Nick Saban looked at it and said, all right, they've got this game plan under wraps. We will not win this game playing like this. So he realized that he had another quarterback that he had been able to watch in practice and watch in these scrimmages and see how he was playing all year long to know that he had confidence to put him in the game. And it wasn't even necessarily his overall ability being so high, which it ended up being. We all saw what Tua was able to do at Alabama over his career. But it's that element of change in mid-game where you can't prepare for two quarterbacks. I don't care what anybody says. That's what everybody always talked about with Georgia going up against Alabama the past couple of years. Like we, After the first two matchups where they changed everything on them, right? It was like, well, can they prepare for both quarterbacks? No, you can't. You can't prepare for both quarterbacks because that's going to make your, your defensive game plan very weak overall because you're not going to be strong on either side if you have to split it up between two completely different style offenses being thrown out there. But that's exactly what potentially could happen if Stetson were to go down from injury or just come out struggling and they have him locked down, they could switch to JT Daniels potentially in that. And it would be the same type of change that Alabama was able to do against Georgia in 2017 national championship game and 2018 SEC championship game. It's it's such a drastic difference that it would be something that's it's really hard to prepare for. And in that in that moment, advantage Georgia. But and we'll get to this too, because I think this is a we we did beat this horse a lot. Dan and talked about like Stetson and stuff like that. But uh, how do you feel overall about Stetson Bennett in this game? You know, what, what's your perspective on him in this game now, knowing what we know, 12 and 0 Georgia, you know, he's done so much. He's thrown what five interceptions on the year. Something like that. Um, that something range. in that range. I think, I think it's five. He threw one um, a couple weeks ago. So he got to five. So, it, knowing what we know now, not talking about earlier in the season where, you know, he's that walk on still and everybody said, but knowing what we know now, how are you feeling about Stetson Bennett in this game? Knowing what I know right now and how he's been playing recently, he's not really shown any inclination at all to be worried about anything. He's right. come out and he's played extremely well. In the Florida game, he had an interception that was bad, right? Outside of that, he had the, the tip pass in the last game. And, of course, you know, everybody's initial reaction is like, oh, here we go, Stetson, throwing an interception on the first drive against Georgia Tech, right? Now, and and this, that, that's always going to be there. But he's playing really confidently. And, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions, and, and uh, this isn't mine. This is Seth Emerson's wrote a piece. And uh, they were talking about it on the radio, so I stole it. I'm telling you, I stole it. But <laughs> one of the biggest misconceptions is that JT is the guy that we want because he's going to throw the ball downfield. JT checks down more than any other quarterback. Stetson is the one that goes deep more than any other quarterback. And he's rated, I believe, number one overall in the NCAA is efficiency going downfield. That's throws outside of, what, 30 yards, right? Mm-hmm. So – what have we always wanted as Georgia fans? Somebody to throw the ball down the daggum field. And we got that guy. He just doesn't look like we wanted him to look. And he's not the pretty horse on, you know, in the stable. We got the other one, the the underdog, the runt horse that's all of a sudden winning races. And that's it's so hard to get your mind. And I am guilty, hand raised. I wanted JT Daniels. I wanted to see what that would look like. Part of me still wants to know what that would look like because I think and, it would and be you're not amazing. wrong for that. Jonathan and I had the same. So we talked about this too. It was like we both, we honestly, we both thought JT Daniels would get the chance to play late in the season, and we thought he was going to have that opportunity to to really step in and potentially take it over. We did, and we were supportive of it. And we, you know, but we got early on, you know, early in the season, about halfway through the season, going before the Florida game, we really really kind of sat down and were like, you know what, we're going to ride with Stetson, you know, like Kirby is and, and really support the decision. And if we get JT, that's great. We'll be excited about it, but we're going to be just as excited about watching Stetson play. But I'll do you one better too, about like what Georgia fans always wanted, right? Not somebody just going downfield deep. How, how much over the past like four years have we heard that Georgia needs a mobile quarterback that, that they have to have a mobile quarterback, man, you've got one. 
I'm not he, he's not out here running like four four speed or something like that necessarily. But you've got a guy that's very elusive, makes plays with his legs, but he has shown the discipline to not only just make plays with his legs running, but make plays with his legs by getting out of the pocket and escaping pressure and still finding somebody 15, 20 yards downfield because he's still got his eyes and he's looking for somebody as well. And if he can't find it, he does break down and run, and he gains positive yardage. This is what Georgia wanted in a quarterback, but like you said, it didn't come wrapped up in a pretty five-star bow like they thought they wanted and that, that they could get. And so they saw JT Daniels, and like you said, and like I said, we all wanted to see JT Daniels be what he was supposed to be. He was the Gatorade National you know, Player of the Year for in California, coming out of high school five-star recruit, all that good stuff. Like he wanted to see what he was able to do, but some people put too much weight on that high school rating. Then they do have like the actual production that we've been able to witness. And, and JT, we had high hopes for him coming into the season. We really did. We talked about him throwing for almost 4,000 yards this year. If he got to play all year. And I don't think that's necessarily inaccurate. I think that if he had been able to play all year long, he would have been over 3,500 yards potentially this year. And that's just because he's, he's also a good quarterback. But at this point, it's it's time for Georgia fans to go into this SEC championship game knowing Stetson Bennett can win you a national championship. He can win you an SEC championship. He can beat Bama with this Georgia offense. Even if you want to take away from him directly and say that, well, the only reason he's been able to do this much is because of that defense. Guess what? I said this the other week as well. Every single game that Stetson starts, that defense gets to play too. He's not going out there playing Bama by himself. The defense is traveling to Atlanta to play that game too. So the same production that they've been able to have all season long with him because of, and I use quotation marks for people listening on the podcast platforms, because of that defense. Well, guess what? He can have the same success because of that defense this weekend. Yeah, and I think I think Dan touched on something that I think fits in perfectly is this is that I think a lot of people hate on Stetson Bennett, or not necessarily hate on Stetson Bennett, but they want JT Daniels or the other guy behind Stetson solely based off how he looks, just back in the pocket. I mean, he's what, six feet tall, maybe. He's a little scrawny. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. It, it like um when he runs outside the pocket running on the field, he doesn't look like a Lamar Jackson or a Kyler Murray. Like he's not making you go, oh wow. Like he's not giving you the oohs and ahs that someone else would. Like I, I kind of go back to what it was like. It's not when, flashy. Yeah, like what what it looked what it was like when Jacob Eason arrived into Athens. You had the six foot four, another national Gatorade Player of the Year guy. He had the long hair, the huge arm. Like he had it all. It seemed like guy was dripping with tools, and everybody's like, "This is the guy." People were calling him the Messiah at the time because they're like, "This is the guy that's going to re- resurrect Georgia football and bring it back on top." Well, then you end up with. Jake Fromm, who again doesn't look like necessarily your um like your oohs and ahs quarterback back in the pocket, but he, more times than not he got the job done, and that's the same thing with Sets and Bennett. I mean, we're talking about the guy that put it put a dip in after beating Auburn. Like it's that guy. Like he just has a moxie to him that other yeah. guys don't. He just has like this confidence with him that yeah, when he throws his deep ball, it's not it's not looking like a Justin Herbert or a Josh Allen or anything like that, but. It gets the job done. He's confident in himself, and he plays with confidence. And that's one of the biggest things you could ask out of a quarterback is to play with confidence and believe in yourself. And Stetson Bennett, by God, believes in himself. Well, you know I'm what? glad you – oh, go ahead, Dan. But but sometimes I, I think so many people get hung up on in the argument. This is the last thing I'll say about the Stetson. Both things can be true. You can want JT to play, but also want to see Stetson do well. When Stetson's in the Bingo. game, he's the quarterback of my team. I want him to win. I want him to throw for 10,000 yards and run for 48 touchdowns in one game. I want him to do well. But you can still want to see the other guy, but still see this kid succeed. And I think that's the biggest thing that people don't understand is they're like well if you want JT then you hate on Stetson that's not always true now there are people that hate on Stetson 100% we know that and then in our discord that we get in together oh guys, my you God. know if you Look, say one I thing, ignore that quarterback discussion to like that that little channel on there I have, I will not step foot in there I won't right. I can't do it but if you say one thing like, oh, that's a bad play by Stetson, they're like, oh, he's your quarterback. He's doing great. <laughs> yes, he is. I don't want to see him. But do it was bad. a bad play. Yeah. Right. It's like, just you can talk about what happened without being critical to the point that you're you're discouraging. It's not we're we're not coming out here and having that conversation. Who that's this random person on Twitter that came out saying that they that they wanted Stetson Bennett to get hurt. So it forced Kirby's hand to put JT Daniels in. That's the most ridiculous <laughs> mentality I've ever heard in my entire life. Stetson Bennett is a big part of why Georgia sits where they're sitting right now. 
So to sit here and, and hope for some type of injury like that and wish bad things upon this team and, and assume, because this is what that's doing, is you are assuming JT Daniels comes out and is night and day better than Stetson Bennett, which I that's where I think that people are wrong personally. I don't think it would be night and day better than Stetson Bennett. Yeah, I think he's a better quarterback potentially if you were to break down like as a quarterback overall. I will make the argument that I think JT Daniels, you know, rep by rep is probably the better quarterback. But I don't think the the gap is so significant that you it it, it what what more would we have on Georgia's offense right now? Georgia's offense is scoring 40 points a game. How how much do you think Georgia's offense would be scoring? You think they'd be scoring 45 to 50 points a game with JT no. Daniels? No. No, the answer is no. And so if that's the case, it's not night and day better. And so then, it, honestly, we talked about this. We had a, a whole discussion on this two or three weeks ago, and it said, it doesn't even matter who plays quarterback for Georgia right now. I really don't think it does. And that does go back to that defense once again, where they are a huge part of what's going on, and they help their quarterback a ton. And Todd Munkin is just drawing up plays that are ridiculous. Well, it, to your point, and, I, and this is when I chimed in with you guys and told you that I had something to say, because to your point, does it matter who plays quarterback for this team? No, in the sense that he has two capable guys of executing what he wants to execute. When people had a problem with Jake Fromm, it was because our offense looked terrible, right? right. And right. we were not, we were maybe winning some games, but we knew we were leaving a lot on the table because we couldn't do things. That James Coley year right there. Ooh. Correct. With Munkin's offense, both guys have been able to execute what he wants to do. So does it matter in the sense that we have both of those guys? No, it doesn't matter which one. Does it matter who plays quarterback? Yes. It has to be somebody who's capable of doing what he wants right. to do. But exactly. both of these guys have proven the ability to be capable. Now, if both of them were gone and we had to turn to Carson Beck, does it matter who plays quarterback? Absolutely, it does that's at a different, that point. Yeah, that's a different conversation for sure. You're definitely right about that. And and when it goes, if you really want to go down to the the you know boil it all the way down and, and say if it really matters between the two, honestly, I'd say it almost matters a little bit more that's that Stetson's playing than JT because of the way Georgia's offensive line is a, as a whole, and they are getting better overall. But you still have a little bit of a liability at right guard. And you still have some holes being plugged in with Sawyer still hurt. We don't know if he's necessarily playing this weekend. So you got, you know, a young guy playing left tackle. And when when you have some weakness on your offensive line, a guy like Stetson Bennett does add that for Munkin where he can put him in different spots to throw to kind of help ease that pressure that that offensive line might be taking on. That's if I were going to make an argument one way or the other, that's probably the argument that I'm going to stand on and, and really push as far as if it really mattered between JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett right now. And and that's just a it's a you know, I'm not out here breaking down everything like Brooks Austin is or anything. It, it, he talked about that a little bit as well at one point, and it, it makes a difference in that spot. But I mean, if you really have to boil it down, I'd say that Stetson adds a little bit of an element to your offense that you need right now. All right. So I love a good quarterback argument more than anybody. We could sit here and talk about it all day long. We could compare Stetson. We got to get back to Bama. So, ex exactly. <laughs> so, but I, I kind of, we could kind of tie it in. So, we talked about how in past years, Saban's kind of thrown a wrinkle at Kirby and putting in the backup quarterback both times. So, we had someone come on Twitter and ask us, what do we think is something that Saban can throw at Kirby? Kind of catch him off guard, maybe. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that Kirby maybe didn't see coming at all, but what is like a wrinkle in his game plan that he could throw at Kirby to kind of give them an advantage rolling back in their way? I know what mine is, but we'll go over to you, Jeremiah, first, and we'll jump to Dan, and I'll close it off for us. What What is something that you think Saban can throw at Kirby that could kind of get something going for them? I'd say it'd be that disguised pressure. If they can figure out, if they can kind of pinpoint the type of rollouts or positions that they're going to be putting that Stetson in to throw out of like if they kind of pinpoint you know they know that in these sets they like to roll him to the left or roll him to the right or something like that and they can add pressure to really kind of like when he rolls out have somebody in his face if he can if he can figure out that spot based on where Munkin's going to line Stetson up where he's going to move him around to if they can pinpoint that it'll really mess up that offensive game plan and then then you'll see Georgia struggle to put points up on the board I think that would be a huge thing that if 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 they can figure it out now that just, you know, it's a game plan thing. It's a lot of film study and they could, I'm sure it's out there. Every, every coach, 
you know, shows their stuff out and kind of shows tendencies and stuff like that. I'm sure there's tendencies that show, all right, when they come into a stack set, Stetson usually throws from this position. If they go into like a, a four wide set and spread everybody out, no tight ends on the line, and they're almost kind of like a West Coast style spread offense. And then he's going to probably sit right here or, you know, drift to the left or whatnot. If he can figure out that kind of stuff and really just send that extra guy pressure, maybe he stunts off the middle of the line and brings an extra guy around the right side because he thinks Stetson's going that way. That would be a huge way to to mess up Georgia's offensive game plan. And that's where you would mess Georgia up. I don't think you're going to see, you know, Nick throw something out on his offense to mess with Georgia's defense. I think it's if he can find a way to disrupt the offense like that and add more to that Bama defense than we've seen from Bama's defense this year. Dan, what about you? What do you think about it? I, I don't know if it's a wrinkle. Uh, the, what I think would be bad for Georgia is if they're able to control the run, right? But if they are able to take Brock Bowers away, and that's something that Saban does and Belichick does better than anybody, is they figure out what is the most effective thing that you have. And for us, believe it or not, it's Brock Bowers all year long. He's been our most effective guy scoring in the passing game. If they make somebody on the outside have to step up to win, we haven't seen that necessarily come true yet. I, Pickens is healthy, supposedly, and we've only seen him catch one ball and block on one other play. We don't know how healthy he is. Burton, very talented, but he hasn't like lit the world on fire this year. Rosemary Jack Saint, extremely talented. But have we really seen him take Injured over a game? No. Yeah. I mean, listen, Brock Bowers yeah. is our guy. And our running game has been, you know, pretty efficient. But our running game hasn't been is like it's not, not Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle good. It's not. Uh, it's been good enough. But Brock Bowers has really been the thing that makes this offense go. So if they take him away and they're able to stall out a running game effectively, you know, that that's that's their path to victory. Sure. I, I agree with you a lot there. I mean, people are even I have said it this week is that Georgia is as healthy as they've ever been at wide receiver. But then again, also, you really haven't seen this wide receiver group together at all. So like you've kind of had some inconsistencies there of like where you have Aladdin McConkey have a big, big game against Auburn. And then you have Brock Bowers popping off in a couple other games. And then Adonai Mitchell kind of has a big game for himself. But you haven't seen it kind of as a collective unit yet. So I'll be inter- interesting as well, especially with. George Pickens is healthy, but we don't know exactly how healthy or how much he'll even play against Alabama. But in my opinion, this is where I think Nick Saban could really – and I'm kind of with Dan is that I don't know if this is necessarily a wrinkle that Nick Saban can throw at Kirby, but I think this is something that could really cause some problems for Georgia is that you have one really – or not – I I shouldn't say just like one really, but you have a really, really good weapon on defense, and that's Will Anderson. He is your playmaker. He is your guy to disrupt the offense – I think this is a game where you just kind of have to cut him loose. Brooks kind of talked about where Will Anderson is kind of like how the Texans treated J.J. Watt, where like there's just a period of a game where he just like wreaks havoc for like 15 minutes and he's absolutely dominating the defense. It's not like or dominating the offense. It's not like this entirety of a game where he is just continuing to dominate offense. But I think this is a game maybe where you just kind of have to cut him loose and specifically on the right side of Georgia's offensive line, we all know that number 50 for Georgia is a liability, a right guard. He's been really inconsistent. I think that's something that you have to attack with Will Anderson. It may not even be that you use Will Anderson every time in the rushing attack, but use him as an asset. Use him and disguise pressures to where you can maybe catch him catch him off guard up front and you can get some pressure on Stetson Bennett or catch him off guard. Just using him, like just cut him loose, let him do what he does best, and then also design some things around him where you can get some other guys coming off a block or out in the open space and getting him in gaps, whether it be in the run game or the passing game. So I think that's something that Nick Saban could do. He probably, I mean, they may have already been doing that. I don't know. I haven't been watching Alabama a whole lot this year, but I've watched them enough to know that, like, it hasn't exactly been where they just kind of cut him loose and he just see ball, get ball, that type of stuff. So I think that's something that you could maybe see Alabama do this week against Georgia. And I think that could put some momentum and success their way against Georgia's offense. Yeah, I think that's the case too. And and while we're talking about, you know, different things that Bama could do or hasn't done or anything like that, we, we talk about the weakness of Georgia's secondary sometimes and everything like that. Bama doesn't have the Bama secondary of old, right? Like, I think these wide receivers could very well get behind these defensive backs at Bama more than we're used to seeing them do if Georgia's offensive line can hold up and protect long enough to get, you know, four seconds, three seconds downfield to see where these guys can can actually beat them. Because there's plenty of clips against teams like 
um, Arkansas, like uh, Tennessee, where they they beat them downfield several times, and and Texas A and M got them a couple times too, and it, that kind of stuff. You can actually see Georgia's wide receivers be able to step up and 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 burn players down the field, defensive backs down the field for Alabama, and maybe you do see some deep balls, actually big play chunk plays catch Bama on their heels. Well, I mean, heck, they, they were doing it last year against an they Alabama were. defense that has Patrick Sertan or Sertan. Have you seen what Patrick Sertan's been doing in the NFL? He's been lighting it up this year. I mean, he has been an absolute stud out there on the NFL field. So they were doing it against the defense last year. Like I said earlier, they just weren't hitting those deep shots. I think this year they will. And I think they, I think, yeah, both teams not necessarily like a weakness in the secondary, but it's not like something that you have to avoid. I think it's some, I think for both sides, it could possibly seem, be something that you attack. I think Todd Munkin will definitely attack it because he's shown that he will do that, and I think he pairs it up perfectly with the run game, gets some good play action in there. So I think they will be able to attack it, and I think that's somewhere where Georgia will definitely have success against Alabama. Yeah, well, if for you, sure. If you look at their secondary and you look at their defense in general, keep one thing in mind. It's Alabama, and – if you look at their recruiting, they haven't dipped off. They they don't have a no. seven nine. Oh, audio cut. I think we're your signal is getting a little bit lower. Cut your audio a little bit there, Dan. Oh, we lost him. Oh, we lost him. Um, he'll come back here in a second. He's still got the link. So when he comes back, we'll get back into it. But one thing that I'll bring up to you when we're talking about defensive backs and stuff, um, what do you think about like Keely Ringo going up against the season? You know, we've seen Keely Ringo ha- let players get behind him. And, and we've seen how that played out a little bit there. Um, and Keely Ringo's given up some big plays and, and caused some – not necessarily given up a bunch of big plays, but he's, he's gotten caught and given up some pass interference calls downfield like that. I, I think he's somebody to watch, uh, you know, on Georgia's secondary this weekend as well. Yeah, and I think Kirby Smart and them have kind of had the perfect game plan for a guy like Keely Ringo. They know he's a really good athlete. They know he is really good in coverage more times than not. But you also know that when you put in a guy like Keeley, you're going to take your lumps with him as well. You're going to have some times where he gets burned, and he has this year. That's kind of expected of a guy like Keeley. He's kind of in, at this point, he's not inexperienced, but throughout the season, he's had to gain his experience. But at the same time, they said, look, more times than not, you're really, really good for us. So we're going to put you out there. We're just going to let you play. But if you do get burned, just take the 15-yarder. We're perfectly fine with you. If you get burned, just grab him, do whatever you have to do, and just take the 15-yarder. We're cool with that. We just don't want you giving up the 60-yard touchdown two-play drive or anything like that. So I think that's kind of what they they told him to do, and you can kind of see that in how he's played this year, is that if you get in trouble, just take the 15-yarder. We're cool with it. We trust our defense enough where – We'll take that penalty, and we trust him to get a stop later on down the drive. So I think that he's not necessarily a problem, but I think you will see him get picked on a little bit just because if there is a weakness in the secondary, it's going to be the guy that has the least amount of experience. But, Dan, we're glad to see you back now, so we'll get back to what you were saying. (laughs) Go for it. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. I don't know what happened. No, you're good. You're good. (laughs) What I was trying to say is their recruiting hasn't fallen off, right? They still have a lot of guys, but they had probably, you know, you had LSU, then you had Alabama, probably back-to-back two of the greatest seasons and teams that we've seen in a long time, right? I'm not going to do the whole – Especially on offense, for sure. Absolutely. But they had a ton of guys leap for the draft. Look at the draft, how many guys went in first, second, third round, okay? Those guys are gone. But that doesn't mean Alabama's not talented. They're just young. Correct. So, for us, it's not that our guys are so much more talented. It's just that – they are so inexperienced and they're still learning on the fly. This is an opportunity for us to take advantage of that. And you were talking about their secondary, you know, in, in our secondary. I think our secondary is pretty darn good. And I know I, we have I some questions. Agree. And I, when I came in, I heard you guys talking about Keely Ringo. Keely Ringo has been targeted and picked on, but he's not getting beat to the exactly. levels of some of these other guys. I mean, maybe, he, and, and again, air quotes, he's our weakest cor- corner. He would be. Other teams would love to have somebody as air quotes right. weak as he is because he's been really darn good. The biggest that he's been beat, and when you say beat, I'm mean, also using the air quotes like you're saying there, is is on those plays where he gets caught and he gets those pass interference plays because he kind of bails himself out with them a couple times on plays that he was, you know, so he's got caught with somebody behind him on it. That's the only because he really hasn't given up big plays as far as yardage and catches, right? But like you said, he's our weaker cornerback. Um, on the team, but that's that's partly because you know you got Darian Kendrick on the other side who is first team All SEC this year. So like, it, it, yeah, that's that's kind of hard to compete with. You know, you, you, we're not necessarily going to throw two guys that are first team All SEC out there on, at cornerback. 
So, I mean, yeah, yeah. He, he might be a little bit weaker, but overall, I, I think he might be your weaker one, but he's not weak by any means. No, he's not. And if you look at the secondary for Alabama, they've got guys too, like Kool-Aid. I just had to say his name. Yeah, He's a good guy, but he messes up too. If you go look at the Auburn game, he was not perfect. And that's you know probably the most I've watched Alabama all year was I, I watched every play of that game. And I can't say that for any other game. So maybe I've missed some things. But their secondary was making mistakes. And when this is something I heard the other day, and, and I need you to think about this just for a second. Has there been one play on defense or any for we'll just focus on defense. Has there been one play on defense this year when you thought to yourself, what in the heck are they doing? Because I can't think of one. And to that point is this is probably the smartest football team Kirby Smart's ever had. They don't make stupid mistakes. I, I can't think of one time where we were completely out of position, blue coverage, blue. I mean, listen, sometimes you get beat and that's okay. They're allowed to play too. It happens. Right? They got yeah, right. Happens. They're, they're SEC think- wide receivers that are going up against these guys every single week. So, yeah, they're good guys. There's guys that are going to get drafted in the first round that they're matching up. Yeah, of course they're going to get beat every once in a while. But I can't think of one game or one player, one series where I thought to myself, what in the hell are we doing? I and can't I think, think that, of one. I think what plays into that is that this Georgia defense plays as an entirety of a unit. Like it's not just one or two yeah. guys that you have. It's not a guy that you have here and there, and they're the guys making the plays. This team plays as a team. This defense defense plays together. You hear them talk about all the time about how what they do, they're trying to open it up for another guy. It's not them trying to go out there and like, oh, I'm trying to get five sacks or me this game. It's we want five team sacks or whatever, whatever their goal is or whatnot. And so I think it's, it's like – it's one of those situations where a guy might have one of those moments where it's like, what the heck are you doing? But because they play as a team, the t- 10 other guys on the field do a great job of covering it up. And it doesn't necessarily seem like something as big of an issue. Whereas like the whole team as a unit is just like, they have no idea what they're doing. Nobody knows what's going on and they get gashed for 80 yards or something like that. They, they might get gashed for like 15 yards or something like that. And it's because one guy was out of position but they play so well together as a unit that the next guy is already there to clean it up and not make it look as messy. Well, and did y'all did both of y'all see that video? It was um, Kirk Herbstreit interviewed about five guys on the defense. I think it was around the Arkansas mm-hmm. week, and he was talking to them. There was two things that stuck out to me in that interview when they were talking about it. And the first thing was, you know, uh, I can't remember who was talking at the time. They just pointed to Kobe Dean and said, "What makes us different is that guy right there." He said, "On if it's third down or whatever, we." you know, or whatever the situation, if he says it, that's what we're doing. You know, he basically calls that in that and whatever he's telling us to do, we're just, we're just doing it. We, it's not like guys going back and forth of like, no, 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 we need to do this or we need to, it's, they, they hear him say something and they just do it. And so that makes it, it's like you said, it's unified. That stuck out to me. And so that, that's a huge success point of this defense on there. And the other thing was kind of what you were talking about as well. In that same interview, they said, if somebody else makes a play, if Adam Anderson gets a sack, I'm just as excited as if I was if I had gotten a sack because it is all about team success. They are so bonded. He's, they, they said they spend so much time to, together outside of practice, outside of school, outside of they, they just hang out. They just love each other's company. They love each other. Like they are a group of guys that just love hanging out and being around each other. And so they play like that. And so they're always picking each other up when somebody makes a mistake. They're, there's somebody else there picking them up. Nobody's sitting there just grilling the player for making an error. Or maybe you see a linebacker fill the wrong gap or something, and so they bust one open on the run play. That that kind of stuff, you don't see somebody getting all kinds of pissed off about and, and going off on these players. And, and the, you don't see the friction between the defensive players. They're just they are one solid unit, and I think that is what makes them so special. I think you can flash back to – there's one play that stands out to me that makes me th- think exactly what you're talking about. I've been, I'll be done for the rest of the night pretty much. But um, you go back to the South Carolina game really early in the season. Amir Speed, who him and Keeley were kind of battling for a position. Who was going to get that starting spot? Amir Speed was in a corner. He gets burned down the field. I think it was like a 55-yard gain or something like that. South Carolina got all the way down into the red zone. You had his teammates come right back over to him. They said, hey, come on, we're good. We'll pick you right back up. Very next play, Amir Speed makes a tackle for loss right after that. And they, I, I believe they get a red zone stop and they settle for a field goal. It's stuff like that. Like nobody's pointing fingers saying like, oh, man, you let us down there. It's like it doesn't matter. They continue to think as a team, like at the whole team fails or the whole team successes. And I think that's a play that really sticks out to me that kind of represents that unity that they play with. Yeah. For sure. And I remember that play exactly. Um, 
I saw that one in person, and and they did. They held him to a a field goal on that. That was early in the game, too. Mm -hmm. It was early in the game, and it could have been. I think it was a zero zero game. That might have been like the beginning. They may have been up seven, or maybe we were up seven nothing or something. Like that was the first point scored by South Carolina in that game, and it was early on. I believe it was first quarter, and so it could have been a huge thing. But like you said, he made a he he came back and made up for it, and because that that's the team environment that they have where they were like hey man it's cool don't worry about that forget that play and get back in there and play again we know you got this we know you can do it and then he came back and made a huge play that led to that that uh, you know red zone stop well there's one other play that can illustrate what you're talking about and it's the culture that's been created right and nobody is going to tolerate anybody who's going to disrupt that culture and the play i'm talking about is where there was a blown coverage on the play and Keely Ringo went to go off on somebody because I think the other person must have made a mistake and he just got beat on solid. Kirby was so quick to get up in his backside and he's not the one that made a mistake as far as we know, but he corrected that immediately. And that is the only time all year that I can remember seeing one Georgia player even begin to yell at another Georgia player. I've not seen it before or since. Yeah, exactly. And it's because they just, they don't have that friction. They know that, you know, if somebody makes a mental error or, or, you know, something happens, they'll be like, Hey man, you're good. You know what to do here. Just make sure we're doing it next time. And you're good to go. Like, I know you can do it. I believe in you and you believe in you. This whole team believes in it. So like, and we move on and then they go on and that's, that is why Georgia's defense has been so successful this year. That's hands down to me. That is exactly why they have been able to do what they've been able to do this year. And that doesn't change against Alabama. I think um, going into this game, you know, this defense is the storyline for Georgia, obviously. You know, it, it's can this defense hold up against a team scoring 42 points a game again, like they've done a couple times this year? Can they do it again? And the answer to that is yes. The, you know, the question comes back to, how much will Alabama be able to put up? Because, yeah, I could see I could see Bama scoring more points than anyone else has this year. Bama will not score 30 points on Georgia. I, I Go ahead and book that. I, I'm telling you that with so much confidence that if they will not score 30 points. If they do anything in the 20s, I think it's the low 20s, like 20 to 21 points. So this defense will hold up a lot more than people expect it to. Because like you said early, early in the show, Dan, people are out here saying something about 30-point game on both sides, and that's just – that's not going to happen. If this defense won't let it happen, they're they're too good. They're too unified. Kirby Smart is going to be all over it. And then I think this offense has a pretty good game as well. Um, the last thing, the last little bit I'll, I'll talk about that somebody brought up, and we kind of hit on it a little bit earlier, was, you know, what do we look at with Georgia and, you know, that that left tackle position, which we, we don't know what the situation is with Sawyer, whether or not he's healthy or good to go or if he's going to be out or not. But it sounds like it might be Broderick Jones coming in this game, at least because we haven't really heard anything about you know Sawyer being ready to go yet, and here we are. It's Wednesday night, eight o'clock. There's not much time for him to be ready to go if he is going to be healthy all of a sudden. Um, so you probably see you know Broderick Jones over at left tackle. How does that play out against a guy like Will Anderson, like you were talking about earlier, where they need him to just take over the game? Is that something that you see him just sit there and just picking on that that sophomore? He's a soft. Broderick's a sophomore, or was he a redshirt? Freshman. Uh, he may be a redshirt. I'm not sure. I don't know what they've got him classed as. He's, he's the underclassman for sure either way. is in, in a few starts in the season, maybe four starts in the season, something like that. How, how big of a deal is that for you, Dan? For me, it's, it's big. I, I like Broderick, and I think Broderick's got a bright future ahead of him. But if you look at Jamari this year, he's one of the highest rated, if not the highest rated left tackle in the SEC statistically. Uh, on what they measure, you know, for pressures allowed, sacks allowed, stuff like that, missed assignments, he's rated number one. So, yeah, that's kind of a big deal. And, you know, Jamari on that line, for me, has a lot of stability. And I don't think tackle position is a position he's going to play at the next level. I don't think anybody thinks that. But for this Georgia line, he's done a very, very good job there. But that that's, again, kind of going back to the quarterback thing, that doesn't mean that I don't think Broderick's not capable, and it doesn't mean I don't want him to do well. I just think having Jamari there is a big, big deal for us. If we don't have him, then we don't have him. I mean, we'll we'll figure out a way. You know, Broderick will be ready to go. I I trust that the offensive line will be coached up and ready to go. I'm not panicking about it. But if I could have Jamari fully healthy at left tackle, I would prefer that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I think, um, you know, the drop-off from Broderick – 
in Sawyer isn't like substantial enough to where it's time to hit the panic button or anything like that. I think like Dan said, Broderick is good enough to hold his own over there more times than not. He'll get the job done. But Jamari just kind of feels like a safety blanket up front. You know, you've kind of had some inconsistencies with the Georgia offensive line. But if you can find a consistent piece of that offensive line, it's Jamari Sawyer. He's held his own. He's continued to play really, really well all season. So if you can't have him absolutely put Jamari Sawyer in the game, um, that's who you'd want out there. But if you have to go with Broderick Jones, it's it's not anything to start worrying about or like be super concerned with just because he is good enough to where he's not going to create like these gaping holes on offense for you and like make you question about if you're going to be able to have any or sustain any any success on offense. So. Yeah, and I think it, it's it's one of those things where Sawyer's close to to getting back on the field in general. So it could be one of those things that if you see Will Anderson just picking him apart, you know, and and absolutely just going into Broderick's face and, and causing all kinds of havoc for our offense. Maybe you see them make a change there um, if Sawyer's close enough, you know, to where they feel like it would be a step up on there. Um, so maybe you do see that. Last thing we'll do real quick, because um, this was something else somebody said to talk about on here, and, and I'll get one player on each side from each of us, and then maybe like a quick sentence of why you think it. And um, so the question was, you know, potential player of the game on offense and defense for Georgia. So I'll, I'll start with you, Jonathan, then I'll go to Dan and I'll finish it up myself um, each each round. So we'll start with offense. So, Jonathan, what, who's your offensive player that is potentially the player of the game for Georgia? I, I'm, I'm going to stick with Stetson Bennett. I, I made the tweet today saying I think he has a big game on Saturday. And I think if Georgia's going to win, it's going to have to be because Stetson Bennett would, had success passing the ball and he was hitting his deep shots. So I think Stetson Bennett will be the MVP for Georgia. I don't know. I don't think he's going to throw for 350 yards or anything like that, but I think he could hover around the 250, 275 yard range, throw a couple touchdowns. And I think he's going to be the, if Georgia wins, um, I think he's going to be the MVP of the offense because I think he has to be almost if you're going to win this football game. Dan? Well, if we all assume Stetson, I think the other most logical answer would be Brock, right? But I think. It could be Zeus. I think this could be Zamir White's coming out party, and he's done extremely well for us this year. But I had such high hopes for him coming out of high school, and I, yeah, I think this is an opportunity for him to be on a stage. And we have not seen him really explode all year long. And I think this could be a game where he just absolutely explodes, and I would love to see it. Yeah, and I'll kind of to to not do the same answers and stuff. I'll come up with something different than other people as well, just as a uh, you know to add extra conversation. And I'll stick at running back though. I think James Cook could have a huge game uh, because of what we saw him do last year against Bama and the way he was used in that passing game, and then he had some big runs and stuff there as well. I think it could be a huge game for James Cook again, where you see him coming out on those wheel routes and slants and stuff out of the backfield, those angle routes out of the backfield, and getting involved, but also getting involved in the running game and having some big plays. He seems to have hit his stride at Georgia in the past, you know, six weeks or so. He's really he's really come on as a, a lot better player than we've seen in the years past. And I always had high hopes for him to actually be a little bit better as well, you know, with Georgia. And it's just been a real slow coming for him. But that's not his fault, I don't think. I think it's, he's such a crowded room. And now he's being used properly with Munkin's offense. And, and he's really finding that place to play. I, I think I'll stick with James Cook as potentially being the player of the game on offense for Georgia. Um, but we'll kick it. Jonathan will go defense. Uh, I'm going with Trevon Walker. I think that Trevon Walker um, usually lines up across from the um, right tackle position for Georgia on the end. So I think that he could have a really huge game for Georgia. Like we said, right tackle has been a liability for Alabama. And with him lining up on that side of the ball, I don't know if he's going to put – I'm not saying he's going to have four sacks a game, but he's going to be the MVP in a sense where he's the guy that's continuing to get pressure on Bryce Young, kind of make him second guess. And he's probably the one creating other opportunities for other guys to come and clean up the mess back there. So I'm going with Trevon Walker as the um, MVP for the defense. Dan? My MVP for the defense is going to be the guy who is ranked number one in the nation coming out of high school, Nolan Smith. I like it. I, I'm, I am so ready for him to put his stamp on a game where we all say – do you remember that game? Very much in the same flavor with my Zamir White pick. This may be more hope than anything, but I really feel like this is a game where he goes off and everybody's like, oh, he is that good. Absolutely. I'm going to stick in a similar position group as both of you there, and I'm going to go with um, Channing Tindall. I think he has absolutely exploded late in the season as well. Um, similar to James Cook, the kind of same stuff I'm talking about there. And, and 
with same side that you're talking about, Jonathan, that right tackle side, I'll see you'll see him stun off that side and, and come flying in behind Walker or something like that. And I think he'll make a couple of plays. I'm going to go ahead and say he has a sack for sure. And then he probably has a tackle for loss or something like that. It mixed in in a big game somewhere else as well. So that's going to be my pick. Um, last thing we'll go through is score predictions, official score predictions, predictions, and we'll wrap this episode up. Jonathan? Uh, I'm going 34-20. Um, I think Georgia is going to win by multiple scores. I think Bam, of course, is going to get theirs. You know, they, they're they still really good on offense. You know, they, they have their holes and whatnot, and they have their liabilities, but majority of the teams this year do. That's why there's so much parity in the college football. So I think they're still going to put up some points, but I just also think Georgia's going to get more stops than they will, and like I, th- I think Georgia's going to get the job. They've been so consistent on offense I don't know that Alabama is going to be able to create enough issues for Georgia's offense to kind of pause that consistency that they've had. So I'm I'm rolling with a 34-20 victory for Georgia. Dan? I'll say it like this. A lot of times Georgia gets accused of choking, right? If Georgia loses this game, they will have played extremely poorly. They will have turned it over and played extremely poorly. There's no scenario – in which Georgia comes out and plays well and loses this football game. If they come out, the last time they were challenged, when people told them uh, that they were going to get jumped, was the Arkansas game. If you remember the way that they came out and started that football game, they came out like their hair was on fire. If they do that, this game is not going to even be close. I'll raise your two field goals, Jonathan, and I'll go 37-17. 37, 17. I like it. I'm going to be in the similar spot. And Jonathan, you almost took mine. I was right in that range that I was talking about. I'm with you, Dan. This is a game that Georgia doesn't have to go in and be perfect. You know, we've talked about this as well. In in years past, what makes this game feel so different than it has been is going into the matchup against Bama, you always felt like Georgia had to be perfect in order to win the game. They don't have to be perfect. They just have to play well. As long as they don't have a bad game and make a bunch of errors, then they're going to play well and they're going to win by a decent margin. So my official score prediction is going to be 35 to 21. I think it'll be right in that range. That's what I was talking about earlier. Um, I, I like both of y'all score predictions as well. Dan's out here just raising it up and, and just saying they run away like with it. it a little bit more. But uh, we talked about that the other day too. Was like it almost feels like when when Kirby finally gets over that and Georgia finally gets over you know beating Nick Saban, they just like blow him out. You know, that it's just like a blows the doors off and just goes with it. But yeah, I'll say it's we're all in the same range there. And I think it's going to be a good weekend for Georgia. I'm excited to see how it all plays out. Go for it, Dan. It's time to catch a vibe. The Braves villain was the Dodgers. Everybody was scared to death of the Dodgers. They came here and we beat their tail. We won the World Series. This is Georgia's opportunity to beat that boogeyman and kick his teeth in and take that crown. This is their chance. Yeah, am I over the top right now? Absolutely, because (laughs) maybe I'm hiding my insecurities. I don't care. I think this is Georgia's opportunity to put their stamp on it and just absolutely roll daddy. Absolutely, man. I'm loving that feeling, and and this was a fun episode. I'm excited to see how everything plays out. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. As always, guys, you know – Make sure you check back next week. No matter what happens, we'll have an episode for you. We'll have one leading up each week leading up to the uh, playoffs and everything as well. So make sure you stick with us on YouTube and, and all of the podcast platforms and everything. As always, guys, keep it classy in the classic city, and we will see you guys next week. Go dogs! Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Dogs Daily on Sports Illustrated. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Dogs Daily crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at Jeremiah underscore Stodd 7, to Kyle at DK Fubderberg, and Jonathan at 22 underscore J-Man. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime, go dogs.